Welcome to Women's Hot Topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Suge Burry. What happened if you say what you want to say? friends. Shug Burry here with Women's Hot Topics. Boy, do we have a topic for you today. Have you ever been in a situation where it kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter? The discussion started to really come to a boiling point and you wish you had the words to bring that conversation down so that we can be the peacekeepers that God has intended for us to be. Well, I have got a great show for you today. We have our wonderful guest with us, Simon Osimo. Welcome, Simon, to the show. Look, it's always a pleasure and honor to be in your, your company. So really excited to share in some strategies with your listeners. So again, thank you for inviting me to come on. Yeah, and we've had a um, wonderful Simon on two times before. He did a show, number 155 and 156, on de-escalation. And then we also did a show called Staying Safe in This Crazy World. And that was back in July 2020. You can find that on YouTube as well. So friends, go to our YouTube page. And if you are on YouTube, you can see this great book that he wrote. I'm holding it up. It's called 10 Powerful Strategies for Conflict De-Escalation. Now, why did I ask him on the show? I asked him on the show, ladies, is because you run into daily situations, as I had mentioned earlier, that we can get these tools from his book. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, We just use this in our training for our him for her training with our mentors as they're working with women leaving prison, how to de-escalate a situation that they might be in. And we've got a whole bunch of new information for you today. So stay tuned, listen in, and I can't wait to introduce my guest to you, Simon Osimo. He was born and raised in England, if you can't tell by his (laughs) lovely accent. He is the founder and CEO of Kingsword Security Counseling. He first moved to the United States to head counterterrorism. Where? At the Mall of America, friends. We all been there before, shopping, shopping. And that is the largest shopping and entertainment complex in the whole United States and North America, where he oversaw counterterrorism in the internationally recognized behavior threat assessment program. He quickly established himself as one of the country's leading experts on security at soft targets, where his work gained national media attention. He spent 14 years as a detective in England, working serious and organized crime. One of his notable cases includes working with the British security services during the investigation of the liquid bomb terrorism plot against the USA in 2006 which changed aviation security worldwide. Friends, that's why you can't bring a big old bottle of water on the plane when you go through security. He is one of those people that was instrumental in keeping us safe in that area. He is the author of three books, 10 Powerful Strategies for Conflict, De-Escalation, Securing Church Operations and Church Safety, Responding to Suspicious Behavior. Simon's work on conversational interviewing is his feature in this award-winning book, How to Stop Mass Shooting Epidemic, by Dr. James Densley and Dr. Jillian Peterson of The Violence Project. Hey, friends, he's more than qualified to be talking to us about this. So thank you very much, Simon, for coming on. Let's just get into the meat of the situation. Um, In your book, you talk about 10 different strategies. Would you start us out with one? Yeah, I mean, the one, Sugar, which is my favorite one, 
um, because it's a story where I was heavily involved and I think there is a lot of power and a lot of learning. And this was, I was director of risk and compliance, uh, a large financial institution. And I was heading to another building for a meeting and had to walk through our break room. And as I was walking through the break room, I saw this female was sat down she had her head in her hands and she was clearly in distress and I, I've got to say to the listeners it was a challenge for me even being a Christ follower thinking do I do I stay and work out what's going on or do I have to go to my meeting and, and I was challenged and I was already running late so I went to my meeting and I came back around two hours later and that female was still sat within the break room this time looking even more more distressed so I went to the HR director and said told her a story that I'd seen this female in the break room and she's still there and I said you know what what's going on and she said Simon we're so so glad that you're here uh, and I said why what's going on they said well we terminated this female uh, a few hours ago and she's refusing to leave the building I said well why is she refusing to leave and they said well what can we we're waiting for you can you can you help us um sort of resolve the situation I was like well, well sure I can do but surely someone else could have, could have done this so sure I went to this female in the break room um I told her that I understood that you've been you've been terminated um you know you're refusing to leave I said can we go and talk somewhere more more um, private more quiet and we went to a side room and being a man I took one of the HR um workers with me and I, I listened for most probably 40, 45 minutes while she told me everything that she felt the company had done wrong, that she had been terminated for being late, been terminated for not wearing professional dress, underperforming, but she was telling me that no one had really spoken to her about these things and no one had addressed her performance. Um, and she literally spoke Shug for about 40, 45 minutes, one prompted. Occasionally I'd give a few sort of verbal prompts or non-verbal, uh-huh, uh-huh, just to show that I was listening. And then once she'd said everything that she needed to say, and there was no more steam that she could let out, uh, I said to her, I understand the position that you're in, but I said, in my role, I can't change that today. Uh, I said, what I can do is we've got to resolve this situation. And there's a couple of options that I want to give you. I said, one is that she told me she, that she didn't drive, she used public transport. So I said, one of the things I can do today is I can call you an Uber and it can take you wherever you want to go to, to get you out of here. I said, the second thing is I'll more than happily drive you to a bus stop. I'll wait with you and I'll pay for a bus to then take you home. Um, but I said, unfortunately, what you can't do is stay here. And if you um, continue to stay here, I'm going to have to call law enforcement. And if they do that, you'll end up being arrested. You'll be criminally trespassed. And that might affect how you get employed in the future. Uh, and I asked her a very simple question. I said, which option would you like to do? And Shug, do you know which option she went for? Well, hopefully she listened to you well. I would go with the Uber. <laughs> that is exactly what she did. And I think your, your listeners are most be saying as well, I bet she went for the Uber, she did. And, and I don't really know where she went that day. And I didn't tell my boss we were paying for her, hoping that we're in Minnesota and she didn't say, take me to Colorado. But you know what <laughs> I'd done there was I'd given her positive choices. So I'd done several things. I demonstrated active listening. I'd showed that I was interested by giving her verbal prompts and a sort of um, paraphrasing, re repeating back. What I'm hearing is that you're frustrated because you've been terminated and they haven't given you um, enough reason. Uh, you've been terminated for being late, but no one's explained that to you before. So I was paraphrasing back to her what she said, displayed verbal listening, and I just really gave her choices two positive, one negative, and I empowered her to resolve the situation. So I didn't force her. I didn't tell her what she had to do. I gave her three options, two positive, one negative. 
And I was almost trying to trick her brain to move her from the right side of the brain to emotion, to the left side of the brain, to logic, to think, what is the best way for me to resolve? She took the Uber. Uh, she left within 20 minutes and, and HR were calling me a hero. And I was like, I've done nothing wrong. You know, I've, I haven't done anything right. So, you know, they're, they're buying me cookies and donuts for a week and saying, <laughs> well done, Simon. But but I really don't shoot, but not everyone understands these simple tactics. And some of your audience are most probably doing these things already. You know, in my 10 strategies, I'm really just putting labels to it. So that, that's one of my favorites is about giving people positive choices and trying to take their brain from right brain emotion to sort of left brain to, to logic. You know, I liked what you do. You gave her two good choices and then one that would obviously not be the one that she'd want to pick. Could that work in our own lives as we're raising children as well? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, if you talk to my wife and we joke about this before, she, she might say, Simon, you've written the book, book on this, but you're not the master. And I'll tell you, audience, <laughs> despite my bio, you know, conflict de-escalation is something that we all need to work on. And I'm a father, uh, as it, we record today, of a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old. And these are things that I tried to use on them. You know, there's, there's a real shift and maybe we'll talk about that in another strategy. But when people are um agitated where people are in crisis they're using the right side of their brain which is emotion and the left side of the brain is controlled by logic so by giving them choices we're really trying to empower them and bring them back so no matter where you are at work you know some type of hobby you might have or with your family try that try that strategy and see if it works and i'd love for you to send sugar an email or, or me an email and say hey simon that works because you can do it with your kids and you'll see it will change them it will start changing their behavior by by the words that you're using you know you give a great example and i'm hoping you can share it with us that was in the book um you know of, of a situation with your son that kind of blew up can you share that with us yeah, so I mean, there are sort of four stages of anger. So there's like an incident trigger, the escalation of emotions, a breaking point, and then the recovery. So you know, my youngest son, I think this happened when he was eight, perhaps. Uh, you know, one of his privileges gets taken away. He's a big proponent of the Xbox. You know, he loves playing video games. But when he misbehaves, um, those rights and privileges get taken away. And there was this one incident one day where he had said something, you know, I think he'd used some sarcasm or it, it wasn't it wasn't nice what came out of his lips sugar let's just leave it there and so his privilege was taken away I, I said to him hey you, you're not playing on the xbox for the rest of the day you know and he went from that was the incident trigger for him that was the end of the world he's eight years old and dad said i can't play on my xbox um and then straight away any parent now listen to this knows this cycle they saw the escalation of behaviors you no know, there was there was shouting and screaming um and it reached that sort of breaking point where he runs upstairs and Bang, you know, that, that door gets slammed as he's going up to his bedroom. We've all heard that a bunch of times. Oh, we've all heard that, yet yeah, more, more than we care to, you know, but so he went through the stages of anger. There was the incident trigger, the escalation of emo emotions, and then the breaking point for him was, hey, I, I can't go on this the rest of the day. And then the fourth stage of the anger is really the recovery. And there's various different ways that you can try to recover someone. But the best thing is, and it's hard, but the best thing is just to give the incident time. Um, because, you know, a crisis is a moment in time. Um, there's an author, Michelle Rosenthal, and she says that, you know, it's not, uh, we're not supposed to live in a crisis. Um, we're supposed to sort of come through the crisis because it is a moment of time. So just by giving my son that space, we didn't go up and find out. We didn't say, hey, you shouldn't be doing his behavior. We just gave it time. And within 10, 15 minutes later, you know, he walked down the stairs. Um, his head was bowed. 
And rather than saying, hey, we need to talk about your behavior right now or what you did was wrong, you shouldn't have slammed the door or said, hey, where, where's my apology? You owe me an apology. I just very simply said to him, what else would you like to do right now to fill your time? And we ended up playing a family game, I think it was, something like that. You know, So my son went through the, the sort of the different stages of anger and it's really important in the recovery, um, Sugar. And I, I know your listeners are going to be saying that this is really hard to do, but we do go seeking those apologies. Uh, we do want to talk about it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't address that behavior, but do that later on when that person's not in emotion, when they can think logically and say, hey, Mason, we need to talk about what happened there because when you're you're rude or disrespectful, things are going to get taken away. So let's sort of talk this through. So in the height of an argument, never go looking for that apology. Just let the dust settle, you know, find another way to get their brain from emotion to logic. And most often you can work through that, through that sort of highly agitated state. Does that make sense, Shug? Where were you when I was raising my little dudes? That's for sure. I mean, they're all grown up now, but I think that's something we can even use now, even with spouses in marriage and situations in relationships. And it is very common to want that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't act that way. Forgive me. And I like that you're telling us to wait on that until it's all calm. There's peace. Could be your day or two or three. And yes. um, and then readdress it when the time is right. And yeah, because by not talking, just quickly, by not talking about it, you're, you're not you're not discounting what's happened. You're just finding the right time when you can get the more logic. Everything about de-escalation is on the left brain talking about logic, not where the emotions are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, friends, too, prayer is super important in all of this, and we need to be Christ-like in it. And I couldn't see, you know, I, I can't imagine God would say, I'm waiting for your apology. Uh, that That's not the way God would be working. He would be full of peace and love and second chances. And then, of course, when the time is right, we get to learn that school of hard knocks question uh, and situation. But, you know, I like the ta- I like the thing that you talk about positive choices, active listening. Can you give us a couple examples of the active listening? Because it's very easy for us as women and men, actually, I think men are almost worse at this, that they just want to fix the problem. What does active listening look like? Yeah, so one of the best things around active listening, and some people find this hard just because of their nature and some cultures, uh, this actually goes against their sort of culture. But uh, the best way to show active listening is to really look the person in the eye and maintain eye contact because there is a lot that can be communicated just by the eye contact. So really maintaining eye contact, showing the person that I'm I'm looking at you, I'm engaged, you know, you have my attention right now and I'm just here with you, Shug, and I'm listening to what you've got to say. So eye contact is the number one thing. Like I said, it can be hard for some people um, and a lot can be said in the eyes. You know, you you can learn an awful lot by looking into someone's eyes. So, So eye contact is one. And the second one about showing active listening is to listen to understand, not listen to speak. Now, we're on a podcast, which is called Women's Hot Topics, but I'm sure there's a few men that slide into this. They do, yeah. And, and us men are the worst ones for this because us men, we're waiting to talk. We're not waiting to listen. So one of the things with active, active listening is making sure that when Sugar's listening, I'm listening to what she's saying, then I'm going to respond 
on what she's said. I'm not waiting to air my view, my opinion, or have my have my say on the matter. So uh, I'm going to call men out because we're terrible at doing this. We 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 listen for our opportunity to talk. We don't listen to understand. So that's another one to do. And then the third one is really about giving those sort of paraphrasing and a few prompts. You know, showing uh huh uh huh uh huh yeah I got it. You know, so so show them small things that you're listening. And then also paraphrase back because the more confidence they can have in you that you are actually listening and engaging. So what I'm hearing, Shug, is that it's five o'clock and I gave you that project an hour ago and you don't have enough time to complete that project and that you're frustrated that you've got some evening plans. So understand that, right? Yeah, that's how I'm feeling right now. So, so paraphrasing back what the person says to you just in small bites is another way to, to really demonstrate to them I'm here, I have your attention, and I'm listening to what, you, what you've got to say, and then I'll respond from your spoken word. Simon, those are all great points that we can use. I like to think, uh, you know, to, to paraphrase it back, to listen carefully, to nod, and not to just try to fix it. So you talk about empathy versus sympathy in your book. What do you mean? What's the difference? And which one should we be using? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it's a trap that a lot of people fall into. And I'll actually share a real life example um, when I fell into myself. And I'm going to start start with maybe posing a question to your listeners. Has anyone ever said to you, uh, you don't know how I feel or how do you know how I feel? A lot of us have had that before. Um, and the reason being is because we're in a situation where we're using sympathy rather than empathy. And I'll give you my real life example. So sympathy is really when we're feeling sort of pity or sorrow and empathy is putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, understanding their perspective. And this is always the area where I encourage people to really do some more reading on this. So sympathy is sort of feeling pity or sorrow and empathy is putting ourselves in that person's shoes. And when I was a young police officer in England, I think I was 19, 20, 20 years old, uh, I got called to a sudden death where someone had to passed away and had to go and do that task, which no one really wants to do. We have to share a death message with the family. And I can remember I went round there, sort of knocked the door. And most people, when they see a police officer on the door, the eyes that I just mentioned, Shug, it gives it away straight away. The wife knew she dropped to the floor and she knew something sort of, you know, tragically um, had happened to her husband. And I went in her house and sort of gave her the message. Uh, and I said something to her about, um, I know how you must feel. And straight away, she, in an instant, she snapped and said, and I was only a young 19, 20-year-old police officer. She said, she said to me, how do you know how I'm feeling? Mm. Uh, and it was the one time that I only made that mistake. I'm a very quick learner. So make a mistake once and I learned from it. But, but she was right. And what I'd done was I'd gone into that situation and given her sympathy and said, I know how you're, you're feeling. Well, I don't know how she's feeling. All I can do is understand. The question that I should have posed was, I know that this is really sort of sad news or hard, hard news. What can I do to help you through this time right now? Uh, what can I do, which is sort of um, going to help you? Can I call someone? So rather than sort of changing it as in, hey, there's a sympathy and pity, there's this empathy towards your position. Who can I get out of your friends right now that can be here with you, Shug, and can sit and listen to you? That, that's the type of question that I should have posed. And most I'm trying to understand how you're feeling right now, as opposed to, I know how you're feeling. Um, mm -hmm. 
I, I know that I've given you some really bad news. What can I do to help you get through this process as opposed to sort of um, having that sort of sympathy? So that's why it's really in the book. I, I feel it's a really important strategy for people to understand. And I'm sure your listeners are thinking, yeah, I've had someone say that to me before, or I've said it to someone where I've said, how do you know how I feel? It's because they're using sympathy rather than empathy. You know, when you brought up a great point, too, um, about I, you know, I know how you feel. Let's talk a little bit about phrasing things, I versus you. Yes. Yes. And that, and that is a great one as well. And it's a particularly strong one using kids because, you know, kids teach us an awful lot and they pick up on how, how we talk to them. So any parents listening. Um, and again, you know, a show where there's going to be married people on here, there's going to be people dating. You will have heard this before where you always do this. You always that. Simon, you always get late. You're always late for meeting me somewhere. You always leave the butter out of the fridge. You always leave the, the milk out. You know, those type of statements, what they're really doing is, is they're, they're blaming as opposed to, as opposed to having the inward reflection as in, uh, I get frustrated, Suge, when you leave the milk out, can we discuss this? And what can I do to help you get better at remembering to put the milk away? Um, in a heavily agitated situation where it's in conflict, where two people are shouting, they're arguing, or, or someone's really agitated, Shug, I can't hear you right now because you've got a, an escalated voice, you're shouting, you're screaming. I need you to lower your voice so I can understand what you're trying to communicate to me because I want to help you. And I can't do that when I can't hear what you're trying to say. So rather than saying, you need to stop shouting right now, you need to do this, I can't hear you right now, sure, because you've got a raised voice. I need you to lower your voice so I can listen. And then I want to help you get through this crisis. So the I versus you, I think we've all heard people. Um, we, most of us have said it to people. I know myself, like I said, I, I teach this stuff, but I'm not always a, an expert practitioner. But you do this, you do that. We need to change it to the inward perspective as to as to why. You know, that's great pointers. And I'm sure my husband would appreciate me using those, Simon. <laughs> uh, like I said, we're, we're, all, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. It is. I got to say, I'm learning so much. You know, this is a selfish show. I'm, I'm learning so much for myself. Okay, so in a situation where maybe you're out and about or you come across a situation at a restaurant, if somebody's drunk or there's mental illness to deal with, or there's someone uh, that's an addict that's high. How do you work around that to de-escalate or just to bring that simmer back down into a conversation? Yeah, and they're great examples, Sugar. And within the book, um, I call it finding the voice of reason. So in any highly escalated situation, um, what we're trying to do is move their right brain from emotion to the left brain to logic. Um, but certain groups, it's more difficult to do that. And I would say it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, but we have to understand that can we find the voice of reason? Some examples, I think we've all tried to reason with a drunk person before. How does that go down for you? You know, not very well. You know, someone's chemically dependent, very difficult. If someone's got profound mental illness, very difficult. If there's a father who's got a non-contact order, he hasn't seen his son in six months and he's come to the preschool and he's desperate to see his son, you know, are we going to find the voice of reason in some of those circumstances? And they're going to be incredibly difficult, particularly when sort of chemicals are involved, sort of intoxication. I mean, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. 
But when we first go into these incidents, I ask us to understand, can we find the voice of reason? That really means, Shug, well, what are we up against here? We're up against someone who's drunk, who's not going to think rationally. So, so what can we try to do to try and bring them back? Uh, we're coming up against a father who's highly agitated, hasn't seen his son. What can we do to bring them back? And the biggest thing outside of the style of questions is really understanding the difference between the left brain and the right brain. And I'm really drumming this home within this um, podcast, I'm sure. But the, the right brain is what controls all our emotions. And we have to get people back to the left brain to think more logically. So the style of questions we're going to ask for who, what, where, when, why, and how. How are you feeling right now? What is it you're trying to achieve by removing your son from preschool when you're not legally allowed to do it? Pause, listen. You know, um, do you understand the ramifications of trying to remove your son from this preschool when the law says that you can't do it? Um, you know, what other options are available to you? You know, can we talk about finding an attorney and seeking legal advice to maybe get some type of visitation? So those style of questions are going to take a father who's highly agitated and every one of those questions, Shug, is logic based. You know, getting them to see the sort of situation that they're in and getting their brain to think, well, yeah, if I... I've got already got this non-contact order. I can't see little Jimmy. Now I'm here shouting, screaming. That means it's going to make it more harder. So we're not going to shame someone within those questions, but we're going to ask style of questions, which are going to be logic-based to get them think more rationally. Uh, and again, with people that are intoxicated, that's more challenging. But you've really got to think about, let's let's move them more towards logic as a towards emotion some of those groups are hard to do but you just got to have that understanding going in because you can't always de-escalate everyone should but you, you you go in with the mindset of i want to try i want to try mm -hmm. you know and there's also the question when do you realize this is not safe i got to get out of here or i've got to remove myself from the situation yes and that's another great question and you know for personal safety for all the listeners uh, particularly two of those categories that I mentioned where someone could be drunk, intoxicated or chemically dependent, dependent, uh, mental illness, you know, there, there's always, there's, there's a window in there with mental illness, but intoxication, chemical dependency, it can be very challenging to try to deescalate. And I think, you know, your personal safety comes first. And I think I say in the book, should, you know, you know, you're not the, you're not the punching bag for anyone. Um, you know, verbally and physically, you're not there to be assaulted or hurt in any way. Um, and your personal safety is paramount. So if it's someone in your family, again, you know, it's trying to remove yourself in that situation, you know, you, you might need to sort of call law enforcement, where, whatever it is. If it's in a work situation, it's heated, you know, you need to sort of step away and escalate to the right sort of um, people to, to inform a behavior. But personal safety comes first. And, you know, simple things should, you know, the hands, the eyes give away an awful lot, and as do the hands as well. So when you're in one of these situations is making sure that you're, you're really focused on someone's body language because their body language is going to tell you um, where, where they really are, particularly if they're getting, getting aggressive. You know, that's a really good point to look at their eyes and their hands. Um, <clears throat> and I think also as well, you, you talk about, you know, stepping away. When is it safe? And you're not the punching bag, girls. Yeah. I want you to know that. I know many of you are in abusive situations. Uh, where a husband might just, you know, fly off and he doesn't even necessarily have to be drunk or high or anything. He's just going off on you because he had a bad day. Um, do you have any tips for those women? Yeah, and I think the, you know, coming back to the stages of anger that I talk about in the book is that for any escalation, so most of it, we've skipped a lot of the, well, how do they get there? Um, and within the book, and I talk about, you know, crisis is like a balloon full of air. 
And my role as a police officer was never to find out who blew the balloon up, why the balloon got so big, is it going to get that big again, what colour is it? Uh, my role as a police officer was just let some of the air out of the balloon just enough so it doesn't burst. So if this is your, if you're in a situation where it could be domestic violence or there could be family conflict, take some of my sort of mindset and methodology and say, what can I do just to let a bit of air out of this person's balloon, even if you're suffering domestic violence? And that could just be taking a step back and removing yourself in the situation because they will go through that stages of anger and they'll get to the recovery. But understanding what someone's trigger is, Shug, is really important to be able to sort of um, diffuse and de-escalate. So if someone's in a, uh, an abusive relationship, um, I'm sure that woman or that man knows what that person's trigger is and then acknowledge that trigger and then sort of remove yourself from that situation when, when you when you see it. I'm sure they'll, they'll see the build up to, to that trigger for sure. So something gets triggered and then they get more and more mad and then they take it out on the person that's in the room or their wife. Um, what advice specifically would you give a woman when her husband is starting to go off the top? Because sometimes to ignore them or <clears throat> or remove yourself makes him even more mad. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's um knowing what that trigger is, and this is a this is a difficult one and it's a challenging question, Shug, but knowing what that trigger is is important because it's the trigger which is going to lead to the escalation of emotions, the breaking point that could be domestic violence. So if you know what that trigger is, it's trying to demonstrate behaviors before it gets to that point. Even with someone who is uh, aggressive towards their partner, they're not like that 24-7. There are times when, when they're normal. But knowing that don't avoid it, that, that's most of the time to say, I feel that when you hit me, that you don't respect me, you don't love me, you don't like me, and getting them in those rational points. But we we all tend to steer away from conflict rather than stepping in and saying, Sugar, I can see you're angry. You're pissed off right now. Um, let me know what I can do to help you rather than just trying to tippy-toe around it. So. One, it's an incredibly difficult situation, but I think really understanding the trigger. And I believe that if it's a woman or a man who's in domestic violence, they will know the trigger, but they will know what is causing their partner to go off the handle because they'll be very fearful around it. And I think it's, if they can self-reflect on that trigger and try and understand, well, well, can I move the behavior? Can I move it away from what's triggering them? That will allow them the breathing space to think a more long-term solution that I can't be here. And obviously we're talking about, you know, domestic violence um, counselors, we're talking about, you know, using law enforcement, but really diving into what is making Simon punch me know that trigger and then try and do what you can to steer away from that trigger. And again, it does mean that that woman or man is going to be on tippy toes. Um, but we're, we're talking about just letting some air out of the balloon, which is going to give them time where they can try and get help from law enforcement. They can tell a friend, they can ring a helpline in confidence and say that this situation isn't where I want to be and I need some more professional help to get out. And I think it, it'll start for them in understanding what is triggering their partner and then sort of trying to tip it around. And it, it's not an easy question to answer, Shug, but I think that's that would be my best advice. But the trigger is what's making that person escalate their emotions. So we've, we've got to acknowledge that and try and find a way to get around it. And I like the way that you mentioned about the balloon, to just let a little air out of the balloon and to be empathetic. To, you said to be a good listener, to repeat back, you know, paraphrase what you heard from him or her. And, um, you know, and then they know you're listening, you're paying attention. 
Um, and it doesn't mean you fix the problem. And also remember, ladies, you are not a doormat or a punching bag. Mm. So get yourself safe. I think it's really important. We'll have a number up for a domestic abuse hotline. You'll see that on our uh, YouTube page. And it's really important that you uh, reach out to somebody after that situation and get some help, get some counseling. And, you know, Father God, he wants us to uh, live in a peaceful environment with our spouses and with our family and with our children. But, you know, the enemy prowls around, like I said, like a lion. And ladies, in Ephesians, it says, Ephesians 6 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I'm not saying your husband's a devil. I'm saying that our battle is not against flesh and blood, which it says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so, you know, the enemy is alive and well in the world, girls. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when Jesus is living in us, when we're walking alongside him, he's going to protect and guide and take care of you through the Holy Spirit. But we also need to use our street smarts. And we need to understand to get out of that situation and stay safe when you can. And these are tips. It's so important. This book is so important. 10 Powerful Strategies for Conflict De-Escalation. And it can work in every area of our life. It can work at a PTA meeting. It can work in your office, you know, during a meeting when everybody's getting a little too excited. And I love what Simon says when he says, let's take it from the right side of the brain, which is emotion, and pull it over to the left side of the brain, which is logic. Um, and I just think that's great advice for everybody. Um, I've got so many questions for you, but you really cover them in your book. You did such a thorough job. And I'd like to thank you so much, Simon, for your extra time that you gave us here today. And friends, I hope and pray that you reach out to us. The first five people that reach out to us and go to our, our page, himforher.org, H-I-M, <laughs> number four, her, H-E-R.org, um, and put in the info line, de-escalation and I will make sure that you get that book for free and I will send it to you personally um, and I just think it's you've been just a wealth of information for us Simon and that book your book had some great illustrations great stories will you come back with us another time absolutely sure you know I'd really love to say to people you know when you pick the book up there's 10 strategies in there is really find the strategies that will work for you and then focus on those strategies. So you don't have to learn all 10. You just, just read through and find two or three strategies. Find I'm a, I'm a great believer of not really focusing on my weaknesses too much, but I focus on what am I good at and I look to improve those areas. So find a couple of strategies that are good for you and then, and then really practice them. When you're at Target, when you're at your grocery store, wherever it is, you know, use the style of questions or use these things on your partners and loved one and, and you'll see the difference. I versus you, giving them positive choices, listening, you know, not waiting, not asking for that apology, waiting for them until they're um, in the position where they can understand logic and then hitting them with, hey, we need to talk about what happened earlier. Can we sit down and do that now? That's going to really help you. And, you know, I like that in the book, too, where you said, don't avoid the conflict. And, yes. you know, a lot yeah. of women were very, you know, sweeping under the rug, hope it goes away. Yeah. And in this situation, it's best to... Um, bring it up and bring it out. And you talk about that in the book very well. And you go into a lot of yeah. detail. Um, so friends, you know, I love you. I'm so excited that you came and you listened. Um, please send us your feedback. We always like to hear it. Hit like so that we can rise up to the top of those podcast world um, and allow other women to hear this really 
excellent program. I think it's the best one there is, Simon. So I'm thankful that you came on with us today. Thank you very much. Um, do you mind if I pray us out? Please do. Father God, I thank you so much for Simon, and I ask that you will bless his ministry, bless his work, bless when he works with businesses and churches and other organizations to keep them safe, Lord. Uh, this is a world where the enemy is always amongst us, and so thank you, Lord, that you have come alongside us, that you will equip us, that you call us to be peacemakers for a time such as this. And if you're listening, friend, and you don't know Jesus Christ, is today the day. And why do you want Jesus in your life? Because he died for your sins. And I want you to receive him. I want you to say yes to him because that's what he's asked us to do. Receive him in your life. And I promise you, friends, you'll have the greatest joy ride ever. The prayer is simple. Father, I've rebelled against you and I'm sorry. Would you come into my life? Would you live with me, guide me and protect me for the rest of my days? And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Simon. We love you. This is Shugbury. You know I love you, friends. Over and out.